0: Book of Ruth, chapter 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian, and they were Ephrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. She was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the other was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. And the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab for she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and travelled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them. And they wept loudly, but they said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have another husband and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon or to return and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so ever so severely if anything but death separates you and I. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. And the two of them travelled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth Moabitess. And they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. It doesn't read very much like the opening of a Christmas classic, does it? Yet here we are, first Sunday in Advent, And we're starting an exploration of the book of Ruth as we make our way towards Christmas. I put it to you that actually the story of Ruth and Naomi and others is a timely word to us today. Because from its very opening we see, don't we, that all is not right with the world. And all is not right with our world, either is it. We can actually come right alongside Naomi. Look around with her and see tears, see sadness, see for some, even now, nearby, death. That doesn't feel very Christmassy at all, does it? For some people, the question this December will be, how can I celebrate in the midst of all that is going on? While the temptation for others will be uh, this desire to rush. To rush into the celebration in an effort, an attempt to drown out the sorrows and the struggles that we are surrounded by or facing ourselves. We are without a doubt a people, a community, a nation, a world that is in need of hope. But not to the neglect of where we find ourselves. Our present circumstances. Any hope which we we look to, that we cling to, that we offer to, which ignores where we are now, where we find ourselves at any given moment, any given point in time, isn't really hope at all. It's just fantasy, escapism. Advent is supposed to be a time for aching, a time for longing. It's about reckoning with the fact that we're in this deep and desperate need and looking forward, looking beyond, looking towards what might be, what in God's hands will be. So though it may not feel like a Christmas classic, it really is bang on the nose for the season of Advent. It opens with this desperate situation It carries that true Advent weight, that ache for things to be put right. And So it's only fair that we begin the story and we begin by giving time and space to explore the hardship that the cast all faced. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion, they were Ephrites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they entered the fields of Moab to settle there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. But after they'd lived in Moab about ten years, both Marlon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without a husband. Begins with famine. And I don't know whether you've ever contemplated famine or or thought what famine might mean and, and require in a culture, an ancient culture like the near Middle East. It's more than just one bad harvest. It's a succession. It's a series, it's the culmination of hard year after hard year, of low yield after low yield, of not being able to store things up in preparation for hard times, having kind of gone through all of your reserves. It's a culmination of seasons and seasons of failed crops. Possibly the saddest thing at the start of the story, though, is not the famine that they faced, but where they seek to find life. For Limelech, Naomi, Marlon and Killian, life seems to exist away from their home. Away from Bethlehem and Judah and Israel and the God who is over and above it all. Life for them seems to be in a place called Moab. Moab to us probably doesn't mean very much. But to them and to the people that the book of Ruth was written to originally, Moab was an enemy. Moab was a snare, a trap. We're told that this is taking place in the time of the judges and the time of the judges is this cycle of people coming to God, trusting in him and slowly and surely, not so slowly actually, slip sliding away from him, falling into idolatry, falling into rejecting God and just carrying on as all the nations around them would have them carry on. And in the story of the Bible, Moab has already served as an instrument to lead God's people away from him. You can read about that in Numbers 25. And so we open up with this snapshot of difficulty, of struggle, of strife, of famine. But perhaps even sadder still is the desperation. The ignorance maybe on the part of this one family that thinks the way to life Is to leave the Lord. It's a snapshot of life at that time. There's this ideal picture of what it could be. God's people in God's place under God's rule. And then there's this. God abandoned. Life therefore falling apart. And looking anywhere and everywhere else. In order to find life and peace and hope. You might say, Sammy, you're you're going too far. They're just doing what would seem sensible, perhaps, to most people in this situation. They're fleeing to Moab because they think there, there will be food. And if they stay where they are, they're done for. And for a time, perhaps, it seemed like some sort of balance for them had been found. That they'd acted wisely and that they'd reaped their just rewards. They settle, they're welcomed. The boys marry, the family begins to grow... But what does it say is the culmination of 10 years? The shadow that hangs over this whole time there, the shadow is still of death. Elimelech dies. Marlon dies, Killian dies. Verse five really does bring it into clarity, into focus, doesn't it? The sad state of affairs. Both Marlon and Chilion died and the women, were left with just without two husbands, without two children, and without a husband. Things have gone so far downhill, and let's be fair, a famine wasn't exactly a great starting point in the first place, but they've descended so far that Naomi now isn't even given a name. She's simply referred to as the woman. Elimelech has not lost not only his life, but his identity. He's now just her husband. The boy is no longer there. They don't have a name. They're just children and they're gone. They've all descended to such a depth that they're now essentially non-people. And I can't this week, as I've been reading this story and and thinking about life um, passing away, I can't help but think of the news this week of those drowned in the channel. People whose whose life has now been reduced to simply a number, simply a statistic. People who were fleeing trouble in search of rest, in search of life, and instead losing even what little that they had. It's a tragedy that's unfolded in front of our very eyes. Our heart should go out to them, as it should to the many in our communities at the moment who are hurting, who are suffering. Perhaps even those in our own church family who are suffering. Those who have lost loved ones, those whose jobs are under threat, those who have physical and mental issues that make each and every waking hour a struggle and a fight. If you're not living through something like that at the moment, then at least open your eyes and ears and see that we are living in the midst of it. Brokenness, pain and deep, deep sadness is all around. It's dark quite literally at the moment, it's getting dark very early, and it's staying dark until very late. But the world we live in more and above the seasons is a dark place. And for most people, the solutions that we come up with look very much like fleeing to Moa. Running away from God. Perhaps even on the way, pointing the finger towards God and blaming God and saying, you're the reason that my world is like this. Because lots of people don't even know God, don't even realise that it's life that they're seeking, that life that you're seeking, that it can only be found in him. And yet, for whatever reason, the direction of so many of our lives is away from Bethlehem. Away from the the place of promised bread. Away from our maker and our sustainer. Each and every day, a step in the wrong direction. Further and further and further away from where we will find truly our lives. So where is the hope? What hope can there be for people who are so desperate that they would risk their lives? What hope can there be for people who willingly are heading in the wrong direction, who have turned their back on the one who holds life in his hands? What hope can there be? Well, the hope comes with turning. And the story turns at this point. And that turn is so important and it speaks to us in our own darkness, in our own aching today. In verse 6, still nameless, non-people, this is what we read. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from Moab because they'd heard this rumour. This rumour had reached their ears that back in Bethlehem, back in the place of God, God had heard the tears of his people and he'd provided food. And so with her two daughters-in-law, she left that place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. There's hardship at the start, that's the reality. But at this point, there is hope. Even if it's just a glimmer of hope, a prospect of hope. And that hope is... Brought to us in the firm of literally changing direction. The the direction of travel shifts, doesn't it? It's no longer towards Moab and by implication away from God. But now it's back home. Back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Back to the place of feeding and care in the arms of the Almighty. Back to the place where they're supposed to be. It's a pattern we see in the book of Judges. This time period is that time period where the people neglect God. He removes his gracious protection. They cry out to him and he rescues them. For them to hear that God had provided food, is it's also a report to them that the people living in the land had come to the ends of themselves and turned back once more to trust in the God of the Exodus. The God who revealed himself to Moses. The God who made a covenant with the people at Sinai. Heading back to Ju- uh, Judah isn't just a sense that they're following the breadcrumbs. It's a step back into trusting and loving and obeying the one true God. I can say it easily, but that is not an easy thing for people to do. And Naomi said to each of them, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in your house. In a new, the house of her new husband, she kissed them and they wept. They wept loudly. But they said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. Naomi, for all the hope that she might have sensed or felt, she still sees a ton of problems ahead of her. A ton of obstacles, none of which she can realistically see overcoming. So she wants these daughters of her now, these daughters-in-law, to go back to their home. To give up on her and her God and the hope that she has that might pan out for her. To go back to their people and to their gods and to their own way of life. Verse 11. Naomi replied, go home, my daughters. Why do you want to come with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? You know, the culture at the time was that to preserve the family names. If, if a husband died and there were no children, then a, then a brother or, or a cousin or an uncle or someone like that would come in and would marry and carry on the line. But Tim Hall, my daughters, go on. For I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought that there was still hope for me to have a husband, tonight even... Is there time for me to bear sons? Would you be willing to wait until those sons matured and they could be your husband's? No, my life is much too bitter, she says, for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Hope, hope doesn't even seem like much of a thing in Naomi's life at this point. But the direction of travel has changed. Again, it says, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. It strikes me that hope doesn't need to be realised, experienced, in order for it to be real in our lives. It's utterly baffling to me to consider how how this wayward family that Ruth had joined had somehow, in all of that darkness, shone the light, the hope of God into her life. Orpah hears Naomi's explanation. It makes sense, just as it had made sense for Elimelech to lead his family away from Bethlehem down to Moab. So she gives one last kiss and moves away, but Ruth clings to Naomi. Ruth clings on, even to the faintest, glimmer of hope. She clings on to the light breaking over the horizon. Ruth has got it. Ruth has got it more than Naomi has got it, in fact. She knows that she's not going to Bethlehem just for bread. She knows that she isn't going there for a new husband and to carry on the family line. In fact, she thinks that she's heading to Bethlehem in order to die, to face death with Naomi. And yet she's in because she also knows that she's heading to this new home, to this new life. And it is all under the name of the Lord. And it culminates in this wonderful song or, or poem or, or, or vows that Ruth makes. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Some people have noted that this set of vows that Ruth makes Naomi is even stronger than our marriage vows. Normally, when we vow to be faithful to one another, we do that. Until death do us part. But Ruth says no. Ruth says I'm in this and even death won't be a separator for you and I. How can that be? What is the hope that she has glimpsed that has made her want to to give everything, even her entire life in exchange for finding it? Well, it's important to recognise that at the centre of these vows to Naomi, strong as they are, is God himself. Your God will be my God. More than that, the the promise she makes Naomi is the hope that we have all in Jesus. That we will be joined to him in his death so that even death cannot separate us from his love. That we can be joined to him in his life so that the life that we now have can be fuller and truer than the life we've ever lived. That's the hope. Ruth, somehow, bafflingly, in the midst of all of this mess, has glimpsed. That's the hope that she's grasped. Simply by turning back. Turning back towards God and turning back towards Bethlehem. And it's a -a totemosh story. It's a -a totemosh situation. Weeping, wailing, one leaving, one clinging, one making promises. So we'd expect that this would be the magnificent high point... And then they arrive home and all is right with the world. You've trusted through the darkness and now you get to enjoy the light. Well, that's sort of what happens at the end of the chapter but not really, is it? Verse 19, the two of them travel until they come to Bethlehem. When they'd entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival and the local women explained, can this be Naomi? It's awesome, 10 years down the line, they still remember. They still welcome her. They're not shunning her. That's a good start. Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? It's it's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies, is it? In her own spirit here, Naomi still bears the scars of all that has happened to her. The weight of it. She still feels the heaviness of the darkness, even though she's moving towards the light. She says she doesn't want that old name back. She knows that she's no longer a a non-person, but she wants a new name. Mara, which means bitter. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She says that she went away full. Actually, they left with very little. While they were away, she was emptied even further, but now she comes back with at least the seeds of what might be a fruitful yield. The author insists on keeping her real name, her original name, Naomi, which means lovely or pleasant, not Mara, which means bitter. And she has a daughter, a real faithful daughter, Ruth, who is promised to be with her through it all. And it's the beginning of the harvest. There is a harvest. It's, it's famine no more. Can you see that the story... Even the main characters in the story pull no punches at all. It's under no illusions as to how hard and gnarly life is and can be. And we need that. We need that brutal honesty. Please, 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 this morning, do not be tempted to go away and to skip that. To sugarcoat that. To sugarcoat life. We have created to feel that sense that something is wrong, to respond to the brokenness around us with anguish and tears. We're created for more than just warm, fuzzy feels. Don't try and cover over the darkness with all Christmas lights and pigs in blankets and jingle bells. Don't skip Advent and shortcut to Christmas. Sip for a while, acknowledge, Admit, accept even, there is brokenness in you. There is brokenness all around us. But in the midst of that, ask the question, what direction are you heading? Where are you going? Towards Bethlehem or away? Trusting in him or looking elsewhere for life? Next Sunday, in our church building in Amford, Sunday the 5th, 5pm, we're holding a book launch for a young woman in our church, Debbie. Um, She's written an autobiography about her life, so far anyway, her life story. And her story could have been one that ended in Moab. Debbie has experienced, has faced up to many hardships and trials and sufferings. And she could have been someone who, in the face of those sufferings and difficulties, blamed God, sought answers and salvation elsewhere. And yet her story is one of turning back towards Bethlehem, not ignoring the hurt and rushing straight to Christmas, but realising, recognising that life Comes not from going deeper into the darkness, but turning round and facing the light. That the life she needed could only be found in Jesus. It would be wonderful for you to come along next week, actually, in person, to hear Debbie speak, uh, to maybe hear some of her book read, to grab a copy for yourselves. But I mention that because we need, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the acknowledging and accepting the brokenness in us and in our world, to hear stories like Debbie's, like Ruth's, like Naomi's, stories of people who help us to see the pathway back towards hope. That when we stop in the midst of that darkness and and allow it to um, not consume us but surround us, we need to hear the stories that illuminate the way for us out of that darkness we all have to hear those stories but we all also have to walk that path ourselves so let me just finish by asking you this question are you looking to the lord to jesus to find life are you heading towards Bethlehem, do you know the difficulty in the darkness that we've hinted at, that we've read about in this story? And have you chosen to seek out the light, to look towards and to cling to the hope that we have in Jesus's death and resurrection? Or is your heart turned away, believing that life, true life can be found elsewhere away from Christ? The story of Ruth will unfold wonderful things are going to happen before we get to the end of this book the entire history of the human race will be impacted and affected by what we read over the next few weeks in these short few chapters but before we even get to the end before that hope is lived out have we seen it have we trusted it Has it captured our imagination and our gaze and called us towards it? Have we, with the courage of Ruth on that road, cried out in the darkness and said, Yes, even to death I will love, because you have loved me. Or are we stuck searching for life somewhere other than Bethlehem and the Saviour born there? Let Naomi's story, her family's story, be a warning to you that it doesn't end in life out there away from God. It ends in death. It ends up with being stripped and robbed of everything that makes us human, the image of God in us. And yet when we turn, there is hope. When we turn, there is welcome. When we turn, there is harvest and there is a life waiting for us. I don't want us to miss the brokenness of Advent, but I also don't want us to miss the hope. That Jesus coming will bring. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for opportunities in our calendar to stop and to admit something's wrong. Something isn't right here. Here and in our world. We all know that ache for things to be put right, to be fixed. But Lord, so many of us look for the solution, the salvation apart from you, away from you. In every nook and cranny and corner except that stable in Bethlehem. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage of Ruth. The eyesight of Ruth. Who from a distance could see how true, how certain that hope is. Lord, give us a voice like Ruth to say no. You will be my God. Till death we will not part. But into life beyond death. Lord, I thank you for Ruth and Naomi and their story being preserved. I thank you for people like Debbie. I thank you for others who can bear witness, who can shine a light on the path that is needed to walk. But I pray that you would give us the courage and the confidence and the strength to walk that path, each and every one for ourselves. Lord, lead us to Bethlehem. Lead us to Christ. Lead us to the solution that we all need to the life that is on offer in him. We ask by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.